You're listening to the West Side Podcast, a part of the L.A. International Church of Christ family of churches, worshiping God in L.A. since 1989. Good morning, everybody. Uh, it's great to be together. You know, I, we've gone through a lot in the last uh, few weeks, and uh, I think for the better. I think it's uncomfortable at a point, but I feel like uh, God is really working in a great way. Today, we're going to be talking about classism and what is classism and uh dictionary.com uh defines it as the belief that people from a certain social or economic class are superior to others and we see that overtly in the old testament and the new testament world as well and uh, lena and i had a chance to live overseas for a while where we've lived in countries where there are class and caste systems where you know you uh, kind of figure out where you are in life, and you stay in your lane. And yet, what I appreciate about Jesus was that he came and he broke all those rules. And he, he uh, gathered a group of people that included Matthew, who was a tax collector, a hated tax collector. And uh, he gathered Simon the Zealot, who was a nationalist at that time. And somehow, some way, he was able to make them work together into this cohesive group of people that would change the world. And, and honestly, it wasn't all smooth. As we read in the gospel and in the Bible, we see that they had issues. They had things to work through. And last week we talked about that as well, where James and John uh, had some things that were in their hearts that Jesus had to disciple out of them. And today we're going to be talking about, uh, through the book of Luke and uh, other passages in the Bible, about what classism is and how we can relate that to our world today. Classism goes beyond just race. It goes through uh, every segment of our society. You can be uh, prejudiced in, in ways that are very normal to you. You can look at a school where you're from and look down on somebody else. You can be of a certain family and then you can have a certain last name or grow up in a certain part of a neighborhood or certain jobs that you have. And uh, you can be prejudicial in that way. But I appreciate Jesus because when we look at the Bible, it's a struggle. It's a fight uh, to to against these things that uh, he fought for and he, he taught his disciples uh, to overcome as well. So the title of our lesson today is Classism, the Struggle for True Unity. Okay, uh, True unity, I put that word in there because there is a kind of unity that may be a little bit superficial. A kind of unity that perhaps looks pretty unified until something happens and it uh, really causes chaos and the destruction of the group. True unity comes from, I think, tackling things that are serious, things that are that are uncomfortable, like what we had talked about last week, things that are difficult, things that are hard to, to bring up. I really appreciate the West Side. I appreciate the conversations that we've been having. I appreciate the KIT team putting together. Has it been uncomfortable? Absolutely. Has it been difficult to hear? Absolutely. And I think it's it's a necessary step in really forging a unity in our group. And I think we will come out of this a, a lot stronger and a lot better if we do it in the way that God prescribes us to do. You know, the Bible says that when Jesus looked at Jerusalem, this is towards the end of his life, and he saw the city, he wept over it. And said, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace. But now it is hidden from your eyes. 
because you do not recognize the time of God's coming to you. You know, we are in the midst of a pandemic. A hundred years ago, we had another pandemic in 1918 that started in Kansas City in a farm, supposedly. Okay, We are in the midst of a pandemic now where God basically is locking the whole world down, getting us into a different rhythm, uh, interrupting our time, interrupting uh, our schedule, all the plans that we did for 2020, out the door. Um, I know in my company, we had great plans for 2020, Vision 2020. It's, it's, it's all gone. I check my uh, calendar these days and everything is canceled. And I just come out through my cozy calendar and cancel, cancel, delete. So God is interrupting us and his timing is perhaps to show us something profound uh, in our time today. In the midst of a pandemic, uh, we're going through something in our society that I think we're wrestling with. And, you know, it's it's good. It's good. It's painful. Jesus looked over the city. He wept over it. It wasn't like, oh, wow, everything is going well. Hunky-dory. And and if you look at the history of Jerusalem, it would be destroyed uh, a few decades later. But in that, at the end of Jesus' ministry, as he looked over Jerusalem, he cries over the world. But in his heart of heart, there was a a joy, perhaps, that he had established a seed here on earth. That these people, his disciples, this this small band of people that uh, would become his disciples, that would change the world, they, they had something there that he planted in them. Let's see what it says. In Luke chapter 13, verse 18, it says, Then Jesus said, What is the kingdom of God like? What shall I compare it to? He struggles. He struggles to find the words to explain to to people, what is the kingdom of God like? It is like a mustard seed, which a man look, uh, took and planted in his garden. It grew and it became a tree, and the birds perched in its branches. And I, I love this passage, uh, passage here. It says, even the birds can come and perch in its branches. That these helpless birds looking for shade, that it, it's such an inclusive sounding passage. And yet, Again, he, he asked, you know, what shall I compare the kingdom of God to? It is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour into it, worked all through the dough. It is like a tree, such a strong tree that the birds can come in and perch in its branches. But it is so powerful that it is like a yeast that works throughout the whole dough. And obviously the illusion here is that his disciples would go change the world. And I love this passage because it, it casts a vision for us on what the church can be and what the church should be. And yet, this kingdom is, is an upside-down kingdom. It is counterintuitive. And it is something that we naturally don't think about how it should work or how we would like for it to work. In Matthew chapter 5, as he gathered people together before his movement was to start, he laid out the groundworks for what this kingdom would be like. He says, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And Gandhi himself says, an eye for an eye makes the whole world blind. But yet that was that was the, 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 the justice of the time. 
And uh, it is fascinating, to be honest with you, a tooth for a tooth. And you can be critical towards this, but some theologian says this is actually humane in a sense that it limits the it limits the the, the, the punishment uh, for an eye. You can't take a life. You can take another eye. It's medieval at best. It's ancient uh, sense of justice, which we kind of look at today, which is kind of weird. But it worked for them at that time. But Jesus says, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. This is revolutionary. And this is kind of, ah, makes you kind of mad. You know, when you see an injustice, the natural sense is, let me take your eye, let me, you know, take your tooth for what you did. But Jesus says that, hey, look, that's, that's, that's not going to solve anything. And he tells us to turn the other cheek also. You know, I've been watching what's going on around the world and it's it's tough to to look at the injustice and to turn the other cheek. What kind of faith does it take to, to turn the other cheek while you're being slapped? And if you look at the history behind this passage, it's it's actually like a backward slap. It's like a slap in the face, uh, an insult uh, to the person being slapped. And yet Jesus calls us to turn the other cheek. And I have one point today, and I have three sub-points, is that Jesus changed the world by forging a unity in the hearts of his people through deep faith in God. Because that's the only way that you're going to allow that passage to, to work in our, in our lives. And a sincere love for one another. What I realize, let me go back here, when I read this passage here, is that it really is relegated to the people of God. If we say we are a people of God, this is the standard that God calls us to. How do we fight? The Bible says we do not fight like the world fights, but we fight with a faith in God and a deep love for one another. You know, we look at the world today, and it's obviously it's, it's clear, and anyone who does not see injustice is, is, I, I, I think, you know, personally just are not living in the real world. I mean, Lena and I have had a chance to travel quite a bit around the world and there is injustice. There are structural in, injustice that are, that are built in, in different systems and different, uh, way that we govern ourselves. And I love this passage here. And this is not the only cause of Poverty or, you know, uh, injustice, but it is one of the cause, causes. The Bible says the fallow ground of a poor would yield much food, but it is swept away through the winds in another version of injustice. You know, the, the ground of a poor man produces a good crop, but the winds of injustice sweeps it away. I think that's another version. And I've always loved that because I think there are times when I look at the world and I, I tend to blame God. I want to blame God. I say, God, listen, why did you do this? Why did you allow this to happen? And yet this particular passage says it's not God. If you look at the world, there are plenty of resources to go around, but injustice sweeps it away. It takes it away from one group of people and it gives it to another who benefit from it. Like I said, this is not the only cause of injustice there or poverty or or, or whatever you see that's, that's wrong. But this is one of them. And this is, and we need to acknowledge that this is one of them. 
What I appreciate about Jesus was that he comes into this world, not a perfect world by any stretch of the imagination, right? But he comes to this world and he changes the world, not through the laws of the day, not not through anything like that. He didn't have any title that, that gave him special power, but he changed the hearts of the people that would follow him. And I have three points to talk about that today. Point number one, he taught his disciples to look inside of themselves. He taught his disciples to look inside of their own hearts and what they can work on. And he told stories and he, he, he gathered them around and he taught them. And he said this in Luke chapter 18. He says, to some who are confident of their own righteousness and look down on everyone else. Jesus told them this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, Thank God that I am me. That's basically what he's saying. He says, I thank God that I am not like other people. Robbers, evildoers, adulterers. And and the list, we can make up our own list, right? Or our own elements of what we look down on. What we feel like people aren't getting. Or even like this tax collector here. Classism. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all that I get. And if we're honest with ourselves, you know, maybe we do that. We have a list that is pretty nice. And I know some of us, we struggle with in our insecurity and stuff like that. But there are many of us, I think, I think myself included, obviously, that we have a list and it, we have a tendency to go back and, say, and we check off all the great things that we've done. And we tend to justify ourselves. And yet, as we continue in the scripture, look what Jesus says. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven. But he beat his breast and says, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. You know, we are, like I said before, in the midst of this unprecedented. I mean, that's that's an overused word these days. It's unprecedented what's going on. Only God can shut down the 2020 Major League Baseball season. I mean, it's shocking to me. All the disruption that's going on around the world within the last few months. But maybe God is teaching us to take a look inside. He's driving us inside our homes. We have a little more time now to think and to consider some of these things. And I don't think he's asking us to beat ourselves neither. And I, I know that some of us are kind of beating ourselves a little bit. You know, like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I'm like this or like that. But but take an honest look at what the Bible says. He says, I tell you, this man, God says, went home justified before God. God says, take a good look. I'm with you. For all those who exalt themselves will be humble. And those who humble themselves will be exalted. Let's take a look inside. Let's let's reconsider. Let's be open to seeing some things that God is trying to point out in us. And, uh, you know, one of the great philosophers says, an unexamined life is not worth living. And I think about that a lot. It's so true. As we go on 
And there's another story in the book of Luke where, you know, it talks about the rich man and Lazarus. And every day he sees Lazarus just on the ground. And, and I think about that and I go, how do you every day see somebody who's right in your front door and you walk by? There's a certain amount of closing of the heart, closing of the mind in order to be able to do something like that. An unexamined life is not worth living. God asks us to examine ourselves during this time. Let's Let's take a look. And maybe we are a little bit like this. Maybe we are a little bit like that, that we've closed ourselves to before. Let's let's do that. Let's look inside. There's another passage I really like in John chapter 8. It says that dawn, he appeared again in the temple. Jesus was always teaching. Well, all the people gathered around him and he sat down to teach them. And the teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery because, you know, Jesus was, was disrupting them, this, disrupting their frame of reference for everything. And they were trying to trap him and they brought this woman in. It's a little bit unfair. It takes two to commit an adultery, but they bring this woman in. They made her stand before the group and they said to Jesus, teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery and the law of Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? They were using this to maybe get justice, maybe. But really, the 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 the, the author, you know, John actually made some points, made a point, and says that they were using this to trap him, to draw him into an argument, to to have him debate with them and get into this whole mess. And I love what Jesus did. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, peeing him, asking him, he straightened up and he said this to them, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and he wrote on the ground. He refused to be drawn in to their debates. He refused to be drawn in to, to what they were trying to get him to do, to muddle things up. And what did he do? He got them to look at themselves. He said, look, look within you and see. And I love this passage here. You know, it continues and it says what? It says that the older ones left first. But my second point is from this passage as well. And it says, you know, the first one is that we need to take a look inside of ourselves. And number two, you know, it takes time. And I appreciate God knowing that about us. And he gives us time. He reveals different things about us. That it takes time if we're willing to do that introspective work. Thank you, God, for your patience. It takes time. You know, um, we look at that story before and the older ones left first. You know, kudos to people that have been around. That sometimes we think that, you know, younger people are more open-minded. I think sometimes the older folks are more open-minded. People that have seen stuff in their lives. People that have seen sins in their lives and have realized that, you know what, who am I to cast the first stone? That's the introspective work that Jesus wants us to do. It takes time though. It blows me away, this passage here. And it borderlines being a little bit infuriating as well about Peter. 
You know that Peter sometimes can be a little bit obtuse. Right? We read that in scriptures. Gets rebuked a couple of times. But this is Acts chapter 10. I mean, this is like way into the movie here before Peter gets the point. You know, Peter was called to go to this guy's house who was a Gentile. And again, we talked about this last week. He lays out the class rules, right? The laws of the land. He says, while talking to him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. Cornelius, right? He said to them, says, uh, you are well aware that this is against our law for Jews, for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. And the people says, oh, we kind of guess that you were kind of snobby towards us over the years. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. Remember last week we talked about that? That God, Jesus changed the picture. He, he, he told the stories of the Samaritan in a light that maybe weren't circulating at that time. And he changed the story, he changed the narrative of the Samaritan. He painted a different picture of them. And it took a long time for, for even his disciples to get it. And here's my plea, you know, to those that have been enlightened by recent events and stuff that, you know, that black folks have been going on that have been figuring out for a long, long time. It takes time. And, and, and to our shame, it takes time. But yet it takes time because the human heart is slow sometimes. Even Peter here. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. God has shown Peter. It took God to reveal these things to Peter. I, I found out that arguments with people have very seldom changed their minds. And I think God can do a better job at changing someone else's mind. And this is the passage I was talking about earlier that is, makes you kind of mad a little bit. Then Peter began to speak. He says, I now realize. And I think when he said that, he was maybe a little bit embarrassed. A little bit, ooh, took me a while. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. I now realize. How many years? Now this is a man that saw Jesus for three years, walked with Jesus, saw Jesus, broke down barriers, broke down racial barriers, broke down class barriers, broke down gender barriers, and yet, you know, it took Peter uh, a long time to figure this out. You know, I love what Muhammad Ali said. He says, a man who views the world the same at 50 as he did at 20, has wasted 30 years of his life. That's a good quote there. It's true. And although Peter took a long time to get it, glad that he did. Glad that he didn't end out looking at things when he did 30 years ago, as as this quote said. It takes time. Let's be patient. Let's love one another. Love is patient. Love is kind. As we work through this together. I'm so grateful, like I said before, that the West Side has the courage to go through this. 
It's not comfortable. It's painful to hear some of these things. But let's be patient with one another as well as we go through this together and we're going to come out of this stronger than before. Let's overcome, my last point, evil with good. You know, the disciples didn't live in a perfect society neither. They lived in the Roman Empire, which can be quite cruel if you look at the history books. And yet when Paul wrote to them, you know, he didn't tell them to do all these crazy things. He told them, hey, look, you got to work within yourselves. you got to work in your own community first. You know, when we were in Burma at that time, Burma was uh, a really brutal place. Um, there was a, a storm that came in and basically killed, they don't even know how many people that were killed. Over 150,000 people were swept away. And they interviewed one of the generals, and one of the generals said, you know, when they were asked, uh, what's going to happen to all the bodies? And one of the generals actually said, uh, don't worry about it, the fish will eat the bodies away. Pretty cruel stuff. And our brothers and sisters are so tempted to, to go out, and there's nothing wrong with, and that's why America is such a great country, that we're allowed freedom of speech and go out and protest. But we set a rule at that time that if you are part of the Myanmar church, the Rangoon church, you cannot protest because you're going to put the whole church in jeopardy. And, and it was frustrating. It was hard for so many people. But uh, that's what the, the church in the New Testament had to deal with. And here's Paul's instruction to them. He says, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with one another. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Remember that passage we looked at earlier? Turn the other cheek. Well, it makes no sense if there is no God to turn the other cheek. If there is no God, I think we should be out there doing whatever it takes to get the system right. But because we are a people of God, because we believe that God himself will take uh, vengeance on people, but he teaches us to do something even greater than vengeance, to overcome evil with good. We're never in our own power. We're never going to be able to right the wrongs of the world. It's called heaven. Okay? But we can overcome evil by our action of good. In Galatians chapter 5, that was talking about the world that they lived in. This is talking about within their community, within the church. Here's, Here's Paul again. The church in Galatia was going through this incredible time of change. They were integrating Gentiles and Jews together. And the Jewish disciples came up from Jerusalem and says, the, the Gentiles, they got to be this way. They got to be Jews and then Christians. And Paul says, no, don't insist on these people being Jews. They are Christians. And you got to allow them to be who they are. And there was this infighting between the church. And this is what Paul said. And this is the same Paul that challenged 
Peter. Don't get me wrong. It's not, it's not this Shangri-La thing. Paul challenged uh, 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 Peter to his face, the Bible says. But he also gave this caveat. This is where maturity comes in. Knowing when to challenge one another, but knowing when to really love up on one another. He says, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. We're free. We're free to speak. We're free to, 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 to engage one another. But do not use your freedom to indulge in flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by one another. This is within the Christian community, within the church that Jesus was talking about. You know, I really appreciate Lola, Lola Brown. You know, I I had some issues as we were talking through this together. And I kept it to myself for a few days and, you know, I was was watching all the stuff and I had some issues that I felt like I need to engage somebody in. And it it, it was, it was controversial. It was something that, you know, that I, I misunderstood and I didn't, I needed some, some clarification. And I appreciate Lola. She took the time to, to talk me through it, help me understand, you know, why these things were said. And, and, and it brought about a great understanding for me and it really helped me to overcome that. And that's exactly what Paul was talking about here. Instead of devouring one another, we have a great opportunity right now to show this kind of love, this kind of faith to one another. Let's do this together. Amen? At this time, we're going to say a prayer as we get ready to take communion. And um, I hope we really take these scriptures to heart. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for Jesus. He's the man, God. I look at his words. I look at his example. I look at his death. And it makes sense to me. that That is what the world needs today. Someone who loved the world so much that he would lay down his life for us so that we can see. God, I love you so much. God, I'm so grateful to you. I'm so grateful for the way that you've called me into your kingdom. The way that you saved me from so much destruction in my own life and the destruction of my family as well. God, help us, God, as we take communion to always remember the cross. Always remember the love of Jesus. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You've just listened to the West Side Podcast. For more information about our ministry, please visit thewestsidechurch.com or laicc.net.